In one of my earliest and most popular podcasts, I talked about emotional sandcastles. Today I'm going to share with you one of mine, which is no longer present. Welcome to this podcast of My Inner Torch. Back in, I believe, October of last year, I uh, made a podcast on what I talked about, emotional sandcastles. Actually, I think it was my second podcast where I talked about how I feel like I'm a child on a beach, basically putting together a sandcastle, an emotional sandcastle, building everything up, making it just right. And then there comes a big wave and washes it all away, a wave of borderline rage, narcissistic rage, histrionic rage, relational rage. And that's the kind of the, I guess, the symbolism that I always have in my mind, because that's something that all of us who are dealing with somebody who has a personality disorder, a BPD or NPD, we all struggle with it. We all have our own emotional sandcastles. We all build something up, some sense of normalcy, and then only to see it wash away. Well, let me give you an example of what happened. I've been building this emotional sandcastle with my my wife for probably nine plus months, okay? And things were never and will never be good. Let's accept this, that when you're dealing with somebody who has a personality disorder, your relationship will always be dysfunctional. It will never be a real relationship. It's always you trying to either save the person with BPD or MPD Uh, You're a caretaker, essentially, or you're a codependent, or you might be both. So in my case, um, I've been building an emotional sandcastle for, as I said, about nine months, trying to build it up, shore it up, and things were okay. There were some occasional little tidal waves of, of anger and rage with my wife that would wash away some of the sandcastle, but the, 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 the crux of the sandcastle, the main structure of the sandcastle remained until a huge trigger occurred. And this is where I think I can paint the picture of dysfunction, at least in my relationship, that you might be able to relate to. We had a dog for about five plus years, okay? And this dog was vicious by nature, unfortunately. This dog bit a lot of people. This dog was and had some issues in and of itself. And we tolerated this animal as best we could. This this animal bonded with my wife and was very protective over her, so much so that you couldn't get close to her without him potentially attacking you or biting you or being vicious with you. So um, being the caretaker and the the person that I am, I kind of accepted this as best I possibly could, but it was difficult to to manage. We had gates all over the house. We always had to hurdle gates to keep the dog from having access to certain areas because if I sat on the couch with my wife, uh, the dog may sit between us and may be perfectly fine for 10, 15, 20 minutes. And then if I make a sudden move, might actually bite me or attack me. Now, this animal had some issues, as I said before, was well known to the vet as being vicious, uh, well known to pretty much everybody. He bit everybody in the family at one point or another. 
And my wife seemed to tolerate him, seemed to look to him as her constant companion, which he was. And, you know, she loved him dearly. So he had some issues, not only the personality issues, but he had Lyme disease. He had some kidney issues. And there came a time when he was scheduled last week to visit with the vet. Now, normally, if you have a dog or a cat or an animal, uh, taking it to the vet is not always a pleasant experience. But for the most part, you can take the animal to the vet without incident. But in this case, with our dog, um, we would have to medicate him. We'd actually tranquilize him before he would be able to have a leash placed on him because he never liked having a leash put on him. He was a long-haired dog. And um, it was very difficult to work with him. But last Thursday morning, my wife, we had an appointment and she was going to take him in and she gave him the tranquilizer and we waited a certain period of time and she was trying to work with him and uh, she was trying to put the leash on him to take him to the car and he viciously attacked her. He bit her. He drew blood. So needless to say, my wife had to call the veterinary practice and say, look, you know what? Dog bit me. We had an incident. Um, not going to be able to make it. Well, the state in which I live, there is a one bite rule. So when you report to a veterinarian that you have been bitten, it doesn't matter whether or not that is a family dog. It doesn't matter who the victim is. That dog is suspected of being A, having rabies, and B, being vicious, and therefore must be put down. It must be euthanized. So the appointment itself was, uh, for that morning, was canceled, and my wife then came back from work, and she was going to take the dog back to the vet, vet's practice, which kind of was quizzical to me. I was like, why? Why are you going to bother? But she was hell-bent on doing that. And she didn't have an opportunity to really talk with the vet. The vet did want to talk with her about options of euthanizing this animal because of what transpired. So unfortunately, uh, a series of tragic things played out. And the end result was that the dog was euthanized. Terrible. Very tragic. Very upsetting. Very much affected my wife. My wife was texting me from the vet practice, basically telling me that they're going to put the dog down. I was shocked. We were all thinking that, you know, we were going to put him on on a uh, tranquilizer and, you know, you know, try to work with him. And we were very, very shocked. And she brought the animal home. It was very, very, uh, very distressful, very upsetting uh, situation. In my mind, when that happened, not only was I dealing with the loss of this animal, but I thought, you know what? Somehow, some way, this is going to be my fault. Somehow, some way, my wife will make this my fault. She will project her own guilt. She made the decision. There wasn't a family discussion. She made the decision and she was very, very broken up about it. But somehow, some way, she would not accept the responsibilities of her action. She would blame me. And I was waiting for the other shoe to drop. And so she was very broken up about this. On Monday, on Friday morning, uh, she, you know, came down. We hadn't buried the animal uh, yet she was convinced that maybe he had survived, which of course we all know he didn't, but she knew that he was actually dead and was ready to, to bury him. And, uh, we did. And that night, uh, basically, uh, she started to project the blame onto me. She started to say that 
it was because of me, because of my return to the family home. I had been gone for a while, uh, working a job out, out of state that, you know, the dog was upset with the fact that I had returned and that he had had some of his habitat, his territory, since he was very territorial, um, that this was actually my fault. The sacrifices that she had to make for me, how dare I come home, um, resulted in the dog's death. Well, fast forward to Saturday evening, she once again basically blamed me for the dog's death and I did not accept that. I was trying to set a boundary and this is why you really cannot set boundaries with people that are hell-bent on abusing you. They will abuse you. And even if you tell them, you know, I don't think you're right or that hurt my feelings, it doesn't matter. So unfortunately, for lack of better judgment, I did challenge my wife. And what resulted was her storming out of the bedroom and moving in to the guest room. And that's where she remains to to this very day. And of course, we turn the clock back and she starts talking about divorce. She talks about selling the house and we go right back to where we started from about a year ago. My emotional sandcastle, the sandcastle that I had built was on shaky ground, but in one fell swoop, that sandcastle was gone. It was a trigger. Unfortunately, the the dog's demise was a trigger and it put my wife in a bad place. It also put her in a place that she could not accept the guilt. She had to project it onto me. She had to find a reason why it was my fault. Remember that people with borderline and narcissistic personality disorders do that. They cannot accept blame. They are little children. They cannot accept fault. If you try to tell a little child that what they did was wrong, they will throw a temper tantrum. They will not understand it. They cannot process it. And this is what you need to remember when you're dealing with somebody with BPD who you suspect has BPD or somebody who you suspect has narcissistic personality disorder or somebody who in general cannot regulate. They are emotionally maladaptive. They can't, there's no reset button on a borderline. There just isn't. It's just masses and masses of hurt and disappointment that they can't work through like regular, normal people. They are emotionally dysregulated. They are emotionally immature. And that's a lesson to all of us. So understand that when you, uh, my previous podcast was talking about breadcrumbing, when a borderline or a narcissist will kind of throw you a bone, kind of make you feel okay, maybe things are okay. That is exactly what an emotional sandcastle is. That's our response to the breadcrumbing. We begin to build, we begin to hope, we begin to see that maybe there is a forest through the trees, but folks, there isn't. You have to understand and accept that this is the way of somebody who is emotionally dysregulated. This is the way of somebody who has a personality disorder. And it's hard for us. It's hard for us who are involved in these relationships, who put ourselves in these relationships to see the forest for the trees, because perhaps we don't know any better. But I can tell you that because I've come out of the fog, I actually do see a better life 
a new beginning. And I relish the thought that hopefully one day I will be there. Again, my advice to you is not to stay or leave because everybody's situation is different. But my heartfelt advice to you is that understand you are dealing with somebody who is not normal. Understand that at any given time, much like our poor family dog, that person will turn on you unexpectedly and everything you think you built up will be gone in a trigger, a trigger motion, somebody who cannot handle emotional things, somebody who cannot reset themselves. That's maladaptive in the very true sense of the word. People, they cannot adapt. They can't change. They can't come out of their own skin. They can't see things for what they truly are. So I do hope that if anything, you begin the path and the road to heal. Okay. I am most concerned about you, not about the person who you're dealing with. You have to be able to differentiate yourself, set yourself apart and aside and understand that you have value. No matter what anybody says to you, no matter what that person says to you, no matter how they smear or devalue you, which they will, that you do have value and you deserve to heal. And that's my advice to you. New podcasts uploaded every single Friday at 10 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Your support is always appreciated. Always welcome hearing from you at myinnertorch at gmail.com. It would be great if you have similar situations that you can relate to, that you can send that to me and kind of tell me. And I will tell you one thing that Codependence Anonymous, which actually rang true, and I actually did a, a podcast, To Thine Own Self Be True, that is the motto. Remember, don't change yourself. To thine own self, from Hamlet, to thine own self, be true. Be true to yourself. Don't change because these people are bringing you down because they're tearing you down. They don't know what they're doing, or maybe they do. And if, if they do, all the worst. All you need to remember is that you do have your own intrinsic value. You are special, okay? So until next time, be well, and in whatever you do, be good. This has been my Inner Torch. <laughs>